CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hi, my name is Graham Oliver, the founder member of Saxon and now ODS. You're listening to Talking Metal. It's going to blow your ears off. Welcome to the 934th episode of the Talking Metal podcast. My name is Mark Striegel. I started this show with my good friend, John Astronomy, a.k.a. John Ostrowski, back in 2005. And John still joins me here and there, especially on the live streams. But for the most part, I'm, I'm pulling, pulling the show solo with help from John occasionally, like I said, and my gorgeous wife, Emily Striegel, who hops on here sometimes with me. We need to get her back. Of course, Victor Ruiz, who does the bonus podcast with me on Patreon every week. The Mark Striegel podcast is available exclusively to the people who support me on Patreon, like these people. Metal Dan, John Bovari, Steve Hoker, Mike Jones, Michael Street, Fred Rutz, David Gray, James Bennett, Anthony Mackey, Jean-Francois Blah, Ron Keel, Stephen Saylor, Jason Seth, Joe Ryan, Matt Carroll, Drake, Sam Soupy, Jerry from Long Island, Victor Ruiz, who I mentioned previously, he helps out and does does more than help help out. He uh, really helps, is the co-host, co-producer of the shows we do on Patreon for these people that I'm reading their names right now. They're the only ones who get to hear it. I wish you'd consider joining them. Uh, Dan Gurwan, Brad Dahl. Leo from Alaska, Kenny McCrimmon, Gregory Muse, Tommy Anderson, Stephen Rodriguez, Johan Erdstrom, Chris Riley, Jeremy Weltman, Andrew Miller, Mario Charance, Sean Richmond, Gene Eugene DX, Joey Von Cherry, Glenn Watson, Victor Guzman, Blue Walsh 21, Jerry from Salt Lake City, Patrick Sabin, Denny Striegel, Ed Ferguson, John Barron, Huckney Jacobson, John Simpson, Hank Reeves, Alan Janssen, Seth B., Madison Hatter, Dane Damage, Adrian Kuzik, and Kado Yogavi. Thank you to each and every one of you guys. Let's get into the episode. All right, guys, we are rocking it with two interviews today on this show, and they are good ones. I really thoroughly enjoyed both of these. Big shout out to Poppy, Graham Oliver's granddaughter, because a number of months back, she DM'd me, and I, I think, I don't know if it was on YouTube or Instagram, but she had mentioned she watched a video that my wife and I did where we talk about my old Motley Crue shirt. It's uh, up on my YouTube page. It's probably posted like two years ago or something. I guess she watched that. And in that, I mentioned Saxon. And she, of course, reached out and said, hey, my granddad is is Graham from Saxon, the original Saxon guitar player who played on all those classic Saxon records. So uh, she said, you should interview him. And I, I, you know, I had in the past, but I looked back and it's been 10 years already. So 
it's about time we reconnected again. I love Graham. I want to stay in touch with him. And I, I just remembered this from the last interview I did with him 10 years ago. He's just a pleasure to speak with and has so many great stories. Called him up on his on his cell phone there in the UK. And we had just, just a dandy conversation, which I'm going to play for you shortly. After that, we're going to hear from a friend of, of mine and Emily's. A local New Jersey, New York musician who has played internationally with so many different bands, some of them that he didn't even want to mention, which were really big name people, but I'll respect his wish and and not mention mention them. Um, and, uh, you know, others that he will mention, like members of Guns N' Roses he plays with currently, and he spent some time in the great band The Black Crows, so, yeah, so we're going to hear from Rob Clores, a keyboardist. We have only interviewed a handful, handful of keyboardists through the years. Uh, that guy Derek from Sons of Apollo, Derek Sherinian, right? Uh, I remember interviewing him years ago. I'm trying to think of what other keyboardists. I've tried to get Dizzy Reed, no luck. We've had Jordan Rudis just recently from Dream Theater. Uh, we have Rob Clores today. I'm probably missing one or two, but not many more than that. You know, 900 and what, 34 episodes and hardly any any keyboardists. So I, I welcome keyboardists on, on the show here. So big, uh, big thanks to Rob for not only joining me, but driving to my house from where he lives in Jersey City and having an interview right here in my living room here in Maplewood, New Jersey, in the new house we just moved into. We'll hit a little bit of news. Uh, not really news, just events. I, I recently was watching the new video by the band White Wizard. Now, they have redone Flight of Icarus by Iron Maiden, and they, they really nail it. They're not reinvent, reinventing the wheel with it. It's kind of done very much in the maiden style but i think they do a excellent job with it and not only that they like almost do like a frame by frame recreation of the original iron maiden flight of icarus video which i used to have on a, a betamax cassette you know video cassette because my family was one of the ones that had Betamax instead of VHS because we were told Betamax was a higher quality, which I know from working in video, it was. However, VHS was the thing that took off. But we had it on Betamax, and I remember play, paying some insane amount of money for it. It was the official Iron Maiden video collection. It was like three videos, or four videos. I believe it was Run to the Hills, Number of the Beast, Flight of Icarus and True and and the Trooper. I believe that was what was on that for music videos. But anyways, fun to see White Wizard recreate not only the sounds of Iron Maiden, but the um, you know primitive video editing techniques of pre avid pre digital editing back in the day uh, with with the video. Great job by John Leon and the guys in White Wizard. Would love to connect with John at some point to talk White Wizard, a band that has had a history with the podcast. We've had them on many, many times through the years. Um, and then some, for some reason, right after the White Wizard video played on YouTube, it just defaulted to the, the new Night Ranger song, Breakout, which I had not seen. And that just put a smile on my face, you know, seeing Brad, Brad Gillis up there doing his solo and of course Jeff Watson is no longer in the band but just seeing the guys up there playing and thought the song was decent a fun video so there you have it Night Ranger with new music out apparently there's a new record I haven't heard the record but I did hear the one song watch the video for Breakout definitely if you were even a casual Night Ranger fan back in the day it's worth checking that out fun stuff and what else I hope everyone had a happy July 4th I'm actually recording this before the 4th because I'm going to be uh, traveling and working simultaneously for the next couple weeks. We're going to kind of be um, jumping around a little bit, but mostly out in Indiana. So there you go, guys. Let's do this. The first interview, again, is with legendary this legendary guy. His name is Graham Oliver. What a history with this guy. We talk about it all. Jamming with Dio, the great denim and leather album 
power and the glory. Uh, so much discussed here, as well as what he's up to now. And a big shout out to Poppy. We will link her Instagram page in the show notes on talkingmetal.com and right on right there in your podcasting app. Of course, Poppy is Graham's granddaughter. So there you go. All right. Again, a true honor to speak with this guy. Here we go. My interview with Graham. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and what an honor to have back on the show. It's been 10 years since I've spoken with this guy, but we have Graham Oliver back on the show, the legendary guitar player of Saxon fame. Graham, how are you? Hi, Mark. I'm absolutely fine, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while, man. 10 years. A lot has, a lot has changed. I mean, we're coming off of this very strange time in history with COVID and quarantine and all that stuff. How how are you faring personally and professionally? Well, everything, everything. I mean, we started off in 2020 with a great year, but we played Finland in January, a metal fest, uh, indoor metal fest. And then we did Giants of Rock in, in the UK in February. And then everything at the buffers, we got festivals, two, two dates in Tokyo, um, festivals in Germany, France, Holland, Belgium, UK. It was going to be ODS's probably biggest year since we started, you know, nearly 20 years ago. So it's just frustrating for, for most bands, not only us, it's been the whole world. I mean, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd said in an interview that some people will have played the last gig without even knowing it. Yeah. So I think that's probably true. Well, hopefully we're not one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully not not for you guys. And when you say we, you're talking about Oliver Dawson, the band you have with longtime uh, partner, right? That you worked with in Sa- way back in Saxon days, Steve Dawson on bass. Yeah, well, Steve Dawson actually and myself actually founded Saxon. And we actually invited Biff and Paul to join. So, so Steve, with that, you know, Steve, it was Steve that actually heard Biff singing. And he was a bass player, Biff, at the time. And he just sang on some demos. And Steve got a chance to listen to them. And um, he said this guy could be a great singer. So it's all down to Steve Dawson, really, Biff's career. Wow, very interesting. And I yeah. do want to talk more about your history with Saxon, but um, yeah, well, I mean, we're proud of that. Yeah, you should history. be. And, I mean, the gold album stopped about late nine, late eighties, when me and Steve, so, so when the original five, when the original five were working together as a collective, I think the success was the greatest because we, it was a great songwriting team I mean when I wrote Power and the Glory and Wheels of Steel I already wrote the race and the band came together and worked like I said as a collective and did the arrangement it was a good great teamwork and it was a chemistry that worked so as soon as that was disrupted I mean Pete Gill was a great drummer for writing songs with as well Right, and as you, was Nigel Glockler later on, you know. Right, yeah, Power and the Glory, one of my favorite records. But you mentioned Pete Gill. Let's let's talk about the 40-year anniversary of denim and leather. I don't know if you know that. 1981. Here we are, 40 years later. The great Saxon oh, wow. album, Den- denim and leather. Any memories of that record? Of making that record, yeah, I can writing that record, recording it in recording it in Geneva, and. Um, I know, Paul, one day we were, we were designated for solos, guitar solos, and Paul Quinn went so much over time because he loves to play lead solos, you can't stop him. I think I got four hours uh, in the studio before the, the time was up to get a couple of solos down. But I remember I remember it being a fun time and going out on boats at Geneva, speed boats, me and Pete Gill, and... Before doing his vocals, <laughs> yeah, I'll just try and talk slow because Yorkshire accents sometimes can be a bit tough. But while we're still on on this record, 
Denim and Leather. I want to just mention a few of the songs that have become such classics. Of course, Princess of the Night. Any memories of that song coming together? Uh, yes, I mean, if that's a Paul Quinn riff. Anything complicated and fast for Paul Quinn. My riff with Denim and Leather, which is pretty basic, but sometimes the basic ones, right. like Power of the Glory and Hungry Years, tend to become classics. I think simple, sometimes you can get a good groove. But the thing that freaked me out with Princess of the Night is how fast Paul Quinn wanted to play the riff. Yeah. <laughs> it was like early speed metal. <laughs> it, well, it really was. And it was a, just a, for that time, such a, a revolutionary record and strong yeah. record yeah. and holds up to this day. Uh, another, I mean, you mentioned the title track, Denim and Leather, is just such a classic. But uh, other ones like And the Band Played On, just still such a powerful song when you hear that. Yeah. How about that one? Any memories of that song? Yeah, I mean, one morning when we were doing pre-production, I heard Robin Trower playing Whiskey Train when he was with Procol Harum. Uh, I think it was recorded about 1969. And I thought, that's a cool riff. And so I think Robin Trower did it in in A. And I kind of thought, I'll take that as an idea and take it to Paul. So I, I transposed a similar kind of riff. I used it as a springboard. Not I didn't copy it. Inspiration. Such, but yeah, an inspiration. And I did I did a riff in in, uh, in E. And Paul put the guitar on and then we took it to the band. And uh, the band sort of made it into this tune. So, yeah, that's how that started. And, of course, Pete Gill, you mentioned him earlier. He he handled the drums on, on Denim and Leather. Lemmy wrote about Pete in his book, and he was a part of Motorhead for a while. Any memories you could share about Pete Gill? Yeah, I will confuse what Lemmy said in his book, and I asked Lemmy about it. And his answer was, I don't know why I put it, but Pete Gill tried to bed as many girls as possible. That's why I found okay. the quote that you're referring to a little bit strange. And so, but Pete Gill was a good-looking guy, and he got all the girls. Um, and I still talk to Pete. We've been in we're in contact occasionally, and so we're still friends. And we, me, Pete, and Steve are meeting up soon. So maybe we'll do it on the 40th anniversary, do a photo and put it, put it on the uh, internet. Right on, right on. So basically, in Lemmy's book, he implies that possibly Pete could be gay, not that there's anything wrong with that, or, or bisexual, but you're saying that's just simply not true. Well, it, I never saw any evidence of that in all the years I was with Pete Gill. Like I said, the Pete Gill's quest was to bed as many girls as possible. <laughs> right on, right on. And From 77 onwards to 82. Right on, right on. I do want to talk to you more about, about your, your incredible history. But while I'm thinking of it, uh, you know, like I said, I interviewed you 10 years ago, um, almost almost to the month. But this, I want to give a shout out to your, your granddaughter because she had reached out to me on Instagram and said, you need to interview my granddad. And that was, you know, I was like, wow, I haven't spoken with Graham in a while. So I, I just wanted yeah. to give her a shout out. She's a metal fan? She's a massive metal fan, Poppy Oliver. She's the most rock chick of rock chicks, even though she's my granddaughter. She was born in the wrong decade. Wow. I mean, she's 22. She knows she's just crazy on Motley Crue. She knows all the metal tracks. She knows all the lyrics. She's just a total metalhead. And it's her biggest wish to get a message off uh, Nikki Six. So I've talked to a couple of people, but it's hard to track him down. Yeah, he, he's hard to get in touch with. I, I interviewed him many years ago, probably like 12 years ago, but haven't had him back on. We had Mick Mars on the show a couple of years back. Yeah. Well, the first cool. time we met Motley Crue is we were playing the Whiskey A Go-Go. I think it was 81 or 82. Can't remember exactly. And uh, Metallica was our support group, their second ever gig. And uh, we were in the dressing room with Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon. And Randy Rhodes had been killed, I think, at least just about two weeks before 
So it was really hard. We didn't know what to say to us. He was distraught, you know. It kind of put a cloud over our debut gig in, in L.A., you know. Yeah. At the whiskey. And uh, about an hour into the dressing room banter, a big bang at the door came. Bang, bang, bang. The door flung open. Our two managers came in and said, hey, guys, there's, some, there's a band here from a uh, local band from L.A. called Motley Crue. Their favourite ever song, Motorcycle Man. And they really want to meet you. And, and then a couple of years later, we ended up supporting them on tour. Right on. Which, which you could write an old book about. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was my first concert, by the way, seeing Saxon and Motley Crue at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, Illinois. I believe it was early 84, I want to say, 1984. And what a, what a show yeah. for me. What a great way for me to start off my, my love of rock and roll and, and concerts in general. Um, yeah, so you mentioned you could write a whole book on that. What were what were some memories? Any any party memories? Any fun little stories you could share with us briefly here on the podcast about touring with Motley Crue back in 1984? Well, they were banned from most hotels for a start. <laughs> the reputation preceded them, but when we got in bars, the girls would do anything to get to Motley Crue, and I mean anything and. Uh, Tommy Lee had a briefcase full of Polaroids that he used to entertain people with in the, in the small hours. I'll not tell you what were on the Polaroids, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable time because MTV was just starting up, and the guys were getting massive MTV coverage, and it was sort of. It sort of reminded me a bit of glam rock in the 70s where they were more dressing up, you know, as well as the music and and being looking cool and that instead of leather jackets and just denims, you know. But it were, it were great times. I, I, I just wish that in those days there was mobile phones like there were, that you could take pictures so instantaneously and footage. Right. It would be great to see stuff. Because it was early days and, you know, it'd just be great to have a record of some of that time rather than just a, a memory. Right on, right on. And the you mentioned Ozzy Osbourne earlier and uh, you, you you guys toured with Ozzy, is that correct? The Saxon did? Yeah, we tour? did a full European tour with Ozzy. And that was when, with Randy, actually, right? That was Randy. Yeah, with Randy. Yeah. And it, they were our support group. Because wow. at that point in time, without being in Europe, that's what I mean. The, the time with, you know, with me and Steve Dawson was, uh, Saxon were huge. And um, I even got to jam with Randy because we used to have a tune up room where, because Randy used to like to practice before pre gig. And uh, I mean, he took real care of himself, his appearance. He was such a nice person. And he was practicing constantly. And he really took a fancy to my flying V because I've got a very rare flying V with a white Gibson with block inlays. They only made 25, apparently. Wow. And so, so anyway, I took it into the practice room and I was warming up. Randy came in and said, hey, man, can I have a go on your guitar? And I took a long story short. We ended up doing Jimi Hendrix's Red House. Me on Randy's uh, Spotted Jackson type guitar. Yeah. And he played my Flying V, which was, if I, if I had that on mobile phone video, yeah, that would be unbelievable. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned to me, I don't know if this is public knowledge or it's anything you can talk about, but you mentioned to me you were doing some sort of video production or something up in Liverpool. Any, any light you can shed on that, or is that not yeah, announced yet? It's... It's not nothing to do with uh, my music. Uh, I, I was invited to, to play, I don't know if you've heard a group called T-Rex. Okay. And Mark Boland. Right. It's a song called 20th Century Boy. And they, want, they wanted to feature it in the film. And it's a Warner Brothers production. And uh, filming took all day yesterday. Oh, wow. So I had to learn 20th Century Boy and play it about 
28 times yesterday. Oh, nice. It was shot live and recorded live. Oh, cool. Great and song. So all the different camera handles had to be done. So the, the tune had to be played and played over and over again. But it was a fun day and it was great to be back on stage again um, and playing guitar because I needed to do it. And so it's due for release. It's called Ball and Shoes, the movie, I think. It's going to be on Netflix. Oh, really? Wow. It's out cool. in tw- September 2022. Okay. All right. Well, a little ways yeah. off, but we will we will try to remember that, and I'm sure it's going to be great because Netflix does some really good productions. Yeah. I think it's it's a story about Mark Ball, and I'm not sure how much you'll end up in the movie, but we did show the entire song over and over again, so... If they use a minute and a half, it'll still be cool, you know, to be in it. Right on. And when you look back on your career with Saxon, do you have a favorite album? I think because I had such a lot to do with this particular songwriting and the riffs, I think Power and the Glory. Yeah, We recorded in Atlanta, in Georgia, uh, with Ted Glicksman, uh, Jeff Glicksman, sorry, producing what a great producer for guitars. He understood guitars. Brilliant. And uh, living in Atlanta, it was a, for, for about six weeks. We, we had such a fun time recording it. It was pretty guitar-orientated with Jeff. Because sometimes when we recorded, like, Crusader, with uh, the producer, that Kevin Beamish, it weren't really how I were hearing it. You know, it was a bit more... Even though America said it was too English heavy metal to be to play it on the radio, Crusader. Right. But I think Power and the Glory really is, is the one because I came up with the riff. In fact, the, the chorus, the, the verse part, I shouldn't be giving away all these ideas, but the inspiration for that was Emotional Rescue of the Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, I just slowed the riff, Ted. I just heard that and I thought that's a cool progression I'll just play it and slow it down and that became the verse wow that's great that's great yeah my my favorite Saxon record by the way and a lot of times uh, I talk with Saxon fans they're like oh no you know Wheels of Steel or, or Denim and Leather but I, I really really love Power and the Glory and there was definitely in my opinion the sound evolved on that record for Saxon. It was a little bit more, mm, I, I don't know, like almost, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but almost it sounded a little more 80s, a little more contemporary than the albums that came before it. Yeah. And because what Jeff did, he put a Marshall cabinet and a GMC 800 in a, a, a wooden box. They made a crate and put all mics into it. And my SG into that, then you could crank the amplifier up really loud and without it feeding back. Because I like to play in the studio rather than the control room. Because when you're in the control room trying to do solos, there's people jerking off. Not li- That's an English firm. I know it means something different in America. But people acting, talking, and you know, generally acting the fool, and it's distracting. So I used to like to go in the studio and feel the guitar in, in in your boat you know right yeah feel the vibrations from from the cab or the box that jeff made do you still record and, that uh, way do you use actual amps there's so many bands nowadays they just you know use these kempers or they plug in and they get the sound yeah. i've only ever used the kemper once in spain last year yeah we did it we did a few days in spain and we were using uh hired gear and it was a kemper and when you're trying to play the intro to Hungry Ears, quiet. I use I'm old school player where you use the volume on the to do the intro, and then you crank it up when it comes into the riff. And uh, the noise gate, I'm trying to turn it off, and it's not for me. I'm, I'll definitely be old school forever. Marshall amp or hundred watt amp, whatever you know, as long as it's a good make with tubes. I can make it sound like me, usually. Because when you do a lot of festivals like we do in Europe, you just fly in there with your guitars and everything's rented. Sometimes you might get an angle amplifier 
Or you might get a, um, the ones that Rush use, German ones, I just forget what they call them now. So you, it just depends, you know, you can you can ask for amplifiers, but and then so most times, like we did headbangers, you don't even see the stage before you go on and plug into the amplifier. So you've got like 20 minutes to plug in and tune up and away you go. I mean, that's how these festivals work. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's really, it's, it's, it's good schooling because a lot of it sharpens your, your chops up because you've got to be using your guitar and your sound. Right. And uh, without relying on pedals and long sound checks and there's a crutch, you know. So you've got to go on there and kick ass, basically. So it's just out, down to experience, I think, sometimes. Yeah, makes sense. Makes total sense. Mm. And let's talk about Oliver Dawson. You mentioned before you guys are working on new music. Did you say that earlier? Yeah, well, ODS, is, we, we, we just abbreviate it to ODS, usually. But promoters like to use Oliver Dawson, just so people know who we are. Right. Um, Steve's been writing at home. I've been writing at home. And hopefully uh, we can come together in the next couple of months with Bri, our singer, yep. and uh, Gavin, who plays guitar now. He's, got, he's been writing at home. And we can pull our ideas and start working as a band, possibly for an EP or an album release in 2022. But Steve's had to isolate for so long because he's got a medical condition that made him a um, high risk. Oh, okay. For the COVID, you know, yeah. so it's been difficult. He's been under the hospital, so you know it's trying times, and we ain't getting any younger, you know. So we've got to really put this foot to the gas and try and get a move on. So uh, hopefully we'll get something out. But his last studio album was uh, Motorbiker. Yeah, that was like 2012, right? 2012, yeah. yeah. And then we did a live album. And we were to do another live DVD. It's all been recorded in Scotland. But uh, because BMG own everything, we can't release it for eight years. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's a bit of a drag. Yeah. But uh, it's just how it is. Because BMG bought out EMI, it's all complicated. Um and all the band members benefited by it. It was a good thing. It just means that there's some things that have to be put on hold from both myself uh, and ODS and um, presumably Biff's version of the band as well. Right. right. Do you ever talk with Biff? you guys ever cross paths, ever speak with him? I don't talk with Biff, but Paul Quinn, Freaker, we, we, we're very stay in touch. We visit each other's homes. And uh, in 2019, in uh, December, both myself and Paul Quinn flew to Sardinia, Sardinia in Italy to do a guitar festival. Oh, wow. Uh, with Uli John Roth. Oh, cool. And it was the first time we played together since 1995. We did Denim and Leather, Motorcycle Man, and... Um, Princess of the Night. Wow, since 1995. Wow. Yeah. And then we joined Uli John Roth on stage for the grand finale to do, um, I think we did all on the Watchtower and Uli's version of Atlantis, which is a the, the tune that Hendrix finished Woodstock with uh, in 1969. It's, it's in A minor. Cool. Um, like a guitar piece, instrumental. Right on. So, Graham, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up between Sheffield and Doncaster in Yorkshire. Right on. And what and, are some of your earliest musical memories? Well, my first ever concert, I was my brother, who was five years older than me, he had tickets to see the Rolling Stones, and somebody, there was a, a minibus going. So it was a youth club, a church youth club. And so to use the ticket, they took me along. 
I was 12 years old, so my initiation into music was at a Rolling Stones concert, sat just in the balcony above Brian Jones. Wow. <laughs> that were awesome then. And then about 66, I went to see Spencer Davis group, and Stevie Winwood got up off the organ, put on a white Stratocaster, and played a track called Stevie's Blues by Spencer Davis. You have to check it out. It's so much like Red House. It's unbelievable. And that blew my mind. I thought, that's what I want to do. And a year later, I went to see Jimi Hendrix, and that completely blew my mind. <laughs> you know, as a 15, well, 14, actually. So I, a lot of what I was doing were over, over my head because, it, because nobody, you'd never seen anything like it. So I've been blessed to see guitar all the way through to Steve Vai and Joe Bonamassa and everything in between, you know. Yeah. So I've seen all facets of guitar in its involvement and being a part of it. I mean, I've sort of sat down and talked guitar with Tony Iommi because we both have a similar handicap. I lost a finger end on my left hand when I was 24 years old. Wow. And so Tony Iommi, on the, on the Black and Blue tour, so it was Boys to Colton and Black Sabbath to him, heaven and hell. And we'd just done Rush for a month. Then we went on to ACDC back in black. Then we went on to Black Sabbath and then and Blue Eyes to Cold. And that was when Dio and was in the band, right? Dio, yeah. yeah. And um, we tried all Tony's finger ends on my finger, but none of them fitted. It was hilarious. Do you it use like a finger, uh, like a little thing on the end of your finger that, that, that was, was lost or, or not? No, I've just had, because I've lost so much, nearly an inch of it. Right. I've just had to learn to, to overcome it and just do the best I can. So I have to make one note sound like 20. Okay. So yeah. it's, it's it's a bit of a drag, to be honest, when you see first finger vibrato people like Bonamassa. Right. And uh, Eric Johnson. And so I check out all guitar players, you know, I love I just love guitar music, no matter what kind it is. Uh, but I just have to live with it, that's all. Well, and I ain't done too bad, you know. Well, as a listener of the music that you've given us, it's it's never it's it's never hurt anything that you do because you've given us just oh, such great you. music through the years. And thank uh, you. yeah, we we appreciate the gift of that music as listeners, as fans. Yeah. As I mentioned, uh, seeing you guys open for Motley Crue. You know, I, I'll tell you something. Back in 1984, I love Motley Crue too, but you guys took the energy out of the room. I mean, by the time Motley Crue, because it was Heavy Penton opened, and then Saxon came on, and then by the time Motley Crue hit, people were tired because Saxon just, you guys just beat us over the head, you know? I mean, you, you guys were so on fire that night. So it's a great memory for me, and uh, just so glad you're still doing music and we would love to get you guys over here in america at some point i don't know if that's oh, ever possible yeah, i wish i mean we, we finally got to japan in 2019 and we had a great concert that were all recorded and filmed i think some bits of it are on youtube and so our biggest wish was to try and get to america it was so difficult with the visa situation since 9 11 and without having massive record company support um you know, it's difficult. Right, right. Well, it's even more difficult now with this COVID thing. Yeah. Well, fingers so crossed whether, that it happens sometime. We yeah, I think, yeah, I think. Because Ronnie James Dio remembered, we actually did the Killing the Dragon UK tour uh, guest band with Ronnie. Oh, wow. And we smoked it every night. In fact, Ronnie invited me to the stage at, in Portsmouth at the Pyramids venue. He says, Graham, will you come on stage and play Rainbow in the Dark with me for the on-car? And I just says, let me think about that for a nanosecond. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I did. And, you know, it was it was nearly 30 years to the day since I'd seen Richie, uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow with Ronnie in Manchester. And a couple of days after that, I had my accident where I lost my finger end. And I thought I was told I'd never play a guitar again. And then exactly to the anniversary of that, I was on stage with Ronnie Dio playing Rainbow in the Dark, wow. which was unbelievable for me. 
it was a you know just a surreal moment in my life how did you lose your finger graham was it just a he got slammed in the door oh okay the wind blew the door shut Damn. i didn't get my hand out of the way in time but yeah he crushed it just took it off yeah, so that happened after, you said right around the same time you saw Ronnie in Rainbow, and then here you were many years, many decades later, actually on stage with Ronnie playing Rainbow in yeah, the dark. And, Great stuff. And the Goldridge, yeah. yeah. Jimmy Bain, who right. also in oh, Rainbow. Yeah. yeah, rest in peace, Jimmy Bain. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. We are going to have to wrap it up. Graham, but it has been great. Well, it's such a pleasure talking to you. Man. Yeah, man, it's been great. We got to we got to do it again. We can't let another ten years go by. Let's let's hook up in a no, year or so and do another one. Yeah, yeah, and we'll bring you up to date. By that time, we should have recorded something. But it's been an absolute pleasure, and it's how we just keep playing the music. And if people ch- checked out the Son of a Beach album, I think that album is a great underrated. It's a bit like. Uh, Montreux's album it's it's sort of it's appreciated but it's not massively known when it first came out so and and motorbiker i think there's some good tunes on there right on definitely definitely we will definitely hype those records the albums that you've been doing and again we hope for new music sounds like hopefully we'll get it and uh yeah all the best of luck to you and thanks to your granddaughter poppy you said right poppy yeah poppy poppy Poppy. oliver yeah because she really inspired me to get back in touch with you cheers if if, 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 she loves to get instagrams or whatever they're called right on right on so if anybody wants to find a poppy lee oliver i'm sure she'd love it absolutely cool social media all right. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, reach out anytime. Thank you, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Uh, yep. You'll talk soon anyway. It'll not be as long next time. <laughs> okay. Yep. We'll hook up soon. I'll, I'll touch base with you every now and again just to see how yeah. you're doing. Uh, stay safe. Yeah, you too. And the wave as well that you're having. I don't know if yeah, it's very you, hot here. Very hot here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 Then you'll take care. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Big thanks to Graham Oliver for joining me again on the Talking Metal podcast. We cannot let another 10 years go by before uh, he revisits us. We got to get him back on like sooner than later because I I love that guy, Graham Oliver of Saxon. And one of my first concerts, really. I mean, there had been a few. I'd seen Chuck Mangione with my parents when I was a youngster a couple times. I, I saw, I remember a band play at my my junior high school, they they did a loud rock thing um, that was supposed to be a dance, but they ended up just rocking us all. But the what I consider my first true rock concert was Saxon with Motley Crue at the Aragon Ballroom. Great memory. And without further ado, let's get into a in-person interview with Rob Cloris, formerly of the Black Crows, currently working with guys in Guns N' Roses, so let's uh, let's talk to him right now and find out what's going on. Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and I am sitting here doing another in-person interview at uh, a house I, I just moved into, and so it's the first interview here at the new house, and again, one of our first in-person interviews, we've done a number of them now since quarantine, and... We don't get a lot of keyboardists on the show, but today we have another one. We just had Jordan Rudis of Dream Theater, and now we have a very different style of keyboardist, but yet another keyboardist. Rob Cloris, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks thanks for having me, uh, Mark. Thank you for coming here. And we got the dogs jumping around here. Yeah, we're in person. It's like like we're back to normal. Yeah, it feels good and sometimes a little weird, you know, I, I don't know, it's still to, like, I love having you here, but to have people come hang out at my house is still like kind of a, a, a different feeling than what I'm used to and weird in a good way, if you will. You yes, know? yes, I, I agree, I agree, it's, uh, it's all that, but uh, we're here, we're five or six feet apart and we're doing an interview. Yeah. interview. <laughs> right. And we're both vaccinated, so we don't That's really right. need to be. But you sent me something that I listened to recently 
that I just really thought was great. I, I love Jimi Hendrix. I think he's just one of the, the, the greatest, you know, not everyone says guitar player, but his songs were so good, you know. And you sent me a cover version that you did, and you got some pretty significant, at least one significant person, maybe others, on the track with you. Tell me about this Hendrix cover that you recently did and who's on it with you. Well, I, uh, it's a, I call it a reimagined version of Foxy Lady. And, uh, uh, you know, that's such a great, iconic uh, song. And, um, uh, yeah, so, so, so I, uh, I, I changed it up quite a, quite a bit. I, uh, I kept the melody. I kept the, um, the, the lyrics. But I, uh, I reharmonized the song and I changed I changed the meter uh, uh, to to seven eight, and then it goes into four four, um, and I uh, completely changed the chord structure and the and the groove of of the song, and right. it was uh, it was fun. And who's playing on it with you? Because it sounds great. Yeah, uh, well, it's featuring Richard Fortas on guitar, on lead guitar, uh, as you may know. He's the lead, he's the uh, along with Slash, the guitarist in Guns N' Roses. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, he was he was uh, he he was down to do it. He in, enjoyed it, and uh, now now I owe him uh, a favor. <laughs> right on. And let's talk about you and Richard, because Richard has a history in the New York City area with with the clubs and the 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 bands there, and and before I guess he's out in L.A. now, right? But before I know he used to live down on like Grand Street, yeah, right, right near where I lived in in on the Lower East Side. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's actually back in St. Louis, I believe. Now. Oh, okay, yeah, kind of where he's from. I think. And what's your history with him? How far back does it go? We played together in the early two thousands. Um, um, we did some gigs uh, around town. We did some some recordings. So we've kind of always always kept in touch and. Uh, and I, he thought he was the right guy for right. this, for this, for this song. And he sounds just great on it. And the the title that it's released under, or the artist, the band, the project, is Split Second Meltdown. Correct? Yes. Okay. That is my solo project. Check s- check check. Slash band. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. And there's other music out there by Split Second Meltdown because when you sent me the track, I actually went on Apple Music and I started pulling up other tracks. Can you talk about the history of this band? There's at least a, another EP out, right? Yeah. 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 I came out with an EP last year, a five song EP, and um, the first session I did for that, um, I um, I uh, I had uh, John DeServio from Block Label Society on bass. I recorded at his studio and uh, Bob Pantella from uh, Monster Magnet Atomic Bitchwax on drums. And um, yeah, I kind of knew that I wanted to do like a uh, a guitar based rock rock record. So I went to JD and and we recorded a bunch of songs and a few of those songs made the EP. But then as I, I was searching for my sound, I did sessions with a couple other uh, friends from LA, Charlie Paxson on drums and uh, Saul Walker on bass. And um, yeah, I got that EP together. Nice, nice. And is there a plan for another full length or EP with this Hendrix cover? Like where can people hear the Hendrix cover and is it for some sort of compilation or album or um not 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 as of yet it's it, it's a one-off it's a single i just had the idea uh uh to to you know re, re reimagine this song and uh, uh right now it's a it's a it's a it's a one-off so it's uh you know you can stream it everywhere um in the states right um but um um yeah awesome awesome cool and you are also known for being a part of kind of what I consider a New York City staple. I think I saw you once in Jersey City, actually. Um, Mule Kick, which Richard Fortas has actually been a part of here and there, right? Or, yeah, he's a, he, he, he sat in with us when he's in town. But um, yeah, Mule, Mule Kick is a, is a fun band. It's um, started by Frank Ferrer, uh, the drummer of Guns N' Roses and former former resident of Maplewood actually yes, yes. right now yeah and um, he uh, yeah he wanted to get 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 uh, get a small group together to do uh, cool cool covers and just have have fun and uh, 
you know play around so whenever richard w- was in town uh he would he would sit in with us as well right and um you know it's, it's a lot of fun i think dizzy 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 reed came and and sat in uh, oh wow that's cool once um yeah so uh we have we have you know we have some uh, some some heavyweights coming to sit in with us absolutely and you guys are are just a powerhouse when you see see you play live is there a plan for mule kick to return now well uh there is a date in the books uh i believe it's uh, august 4th 2021 okay. at arlene's grocery right um i and uh, guns and roses are playing the next day at metlife stadium so if, that's why frank is in town and oh awesome we're going to we're going to hopefully pack him in at uh at at, at arlene's grocery on august 4th Awesome. August 4th. I'm trying to think if we're, if we're, I think we're actually away that week, but if we're, we are in town, I will absolutely be there. And I wanted to give a shout out to Rob Bailey also plays in mule kick a guy I've yep. known since the eighties, a longtime friend of mine. And when did you and Rob first connect? Was it through Frank? Um, we, we, we kind of connected here and there but that was really the first project that we were uh involved in together the mule right. kick project and and i played with their other project uh pisser with uh eric toast right yep yep and um yeah oh yes and we have brett bass on bass uh by the way with with mule kick and and pisser right on right on and no, Pisser has new music coming out. Are you are you involved with that at all? I'm not. I right. I, I played on uh, about uh, um, uh, several songs on their on their B side. It's it's uh, cover songs, but it's like Barry White cover songs done in a rock way. So I really hope it comes out because it's quite wow, it's cool. quite different and entertaining and and cool the way they arranged that. Maybe that's where I got the gig uh, the 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 idea for Foxy Lady just because yeah. they. They did like uh, "Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe," and you know, making it sound like ACDC. So, uh, maybe maybe that was inspiration for me doing "Foxy Lady" in seven eight. Right on, (laughs) right on. And I I do want to get into your history because you've played with some incredible artists, including the Black Crows and David Johansson. We want to talk about all that, but uh, let's talk about Madison Hatter. She was on the show recently and has some new, really strong music out that I've been enjoying, and you were a big part of that. Can you talk about your involvement with her, who she is, and what you guys do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Larissa is Madison Hatter, and she is an awesome singer and awesome person. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, Rob Bailey, uh, who we just who we spoke about earlier, uh, he produced um, uh, the tracks on her record, and uh, and with uh, Frank on drums and Brett on bass, and uh, and uh, yeah, I played some synth synthesizers on her record and some organ, and I think maybe a piano note or two and uh yeah very very excited cool and we mentioned the black crows can you talk a little bit about your history with them um i did a tour with the black crows and did some studio work with them and um uh what year was this uh well this was 2006 2007 um and it was a it was a it was a great experience it was pretty thrilling uh as a as a as a keyboard player to to uh to step in and do a tour with those guys um um you know their their drummer steve gorman wrote a book about 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 the band and um he had some nice things to say about me, but I, I, I think everything in that book is probably true. <laughs> really? Yeah. I've heard, I've heard about that book. I've heard, yeah, yeah it's well, getting a big push. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody heard, you know, everybody hears stories about them, but you know what? They wrote some great music and as a, as a player and, you know, a fan of their music, it was really thrilling to, uh, to, to go on tour with them. Very cool. So there's been some other significant people you've you've played with that I do want to mention. You mentioned to me before we started recording here Tom Jones, which I think that sounds awesome. And you guys played a really significant concert that I've been, 
you know, I've never been to it, but I've been following the Bridge School Benefit concerts by one of my favorite rockers, Neil Young. He puts these concerts on every year, and, and you got to play that with Tom Jones. Is yes. that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was that was that was pretty thrilling as well. Uh, he he uh, he did like bluesy versions of his of his uh, hits, and um, yeah, and playing playing Bridge School was um, was a was a was a real treat, and. Uh, I think the other artists on the bill were quite, uh, 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 quite, quite happy to watch as well because um, uh, this was back in 2014. But we had like the whole Soundgarden band and the whole Pearl Jam band wa- watching us side the stage. You know, well, watching Tom because he's, you know, he's a, just an amazing, yeah, uh, you know, legendary right. singer. And I mean, the guy can still belt it out and and that 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 right there is impressive for yeah for like i am i um he was maybe 80 at the time or so wow. or, or okay. at least in his later or, or close and he right. really put on a show so i think those those you know everybody was very impressed <laughs> very cool and <laughs> david johansson you played some gigs with him what's your history with him yeah yeah he legendary he, he, guy yeah um he uh yeah he 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 had the um uh, uh, the shows that i did they were um his uh uh from the dolls book and from his 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 solo stuff so i didn't have to play any um buster poindexter right okay. um um which which was which was cool that was very uh piano and uh, and organ heavy and i mean he's just He's just, you know, freakishly like uh, he's just really talented and such a character and, you know, very char- charismatic and uh, and a, a very nice guy. Uh, so so that was that was fun, fun to play with him. And out of all these guys that you've played with, I know John Popper, you did some work with him, too, of Blues Traveler fame. Who were the who were the easiest to work with? Who were the m- most difficult to work with? Well, I would say, I mean, Joe Johansson was very uh, was 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 easy. Uh, Tom Jones was just uh, he was real, really easy to work with, and you would he was he was still drinking at the time as as I was, and we we would have some drinks and right he at. Uh, stay up till three in the morning on a couple of occasions. And he was pushing eighty at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you nice. know just telling us stories, just stories and stories. Um, and he's got you know amazing stories. You know, I mean, he's been he had uh, he had just gotten knighted uh, a few years earlier. So I asked him about the Queen. You know, I said, right? So, wow. so 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 how's the Queen, Tom? Like, what type of lady is she? And he's like, Well, I've known her for forty years. Wow. <laughs> and she and I and it just dawned on me like of course you have because you were famous in 1966 and she was the queen you know so so uh, and you're you know you're from wales and uh so uh so just just really amazing stuff like that difficult Uh, people to work with or or don't you want to go there well no i mean i mean all 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 i can say is all the stories in steve gorman's book are true and uh and uh although uh, you know what i can't say that those guys were difficult because they were actually uh they were they were nice and they were respectful um and i think they were appreciative that i stepped in with two weeks notice and no rehearsal and learned like 95 uh, originals and 30 covers and i gotta say i i I did a great job right right. so i think it was more like this guy is kind of saving our ass and um so you know what i'm not going to say that that they were difficult they they uh, i mean maybe to other people they are but they were not difficult to me so i uh, so everyone i've ever worked with uh uh, has not ever been difficult. <laughs> really? Okay, there you go. And growing up, when did you start playing keyboards and who were some of your initial influences? What got you into music? Well, um, I, I got to say my my family got me into music. My uh, dad played piano and guitar and he'd have all kind of... Uh, uh, he, his his uh, The music he was into, he was into... He was into like country but like country like george jones and like johnny cash and right and uh he was into uh he was into jazz he was into lester young he was into billy holiday he was into r&b like ray charles uh, um uh, r&b he was into stevie wonder we see a musician did he play or he, he was he, he was a musician for uh for fun uh which is really a great thing to, 
thing to be right. a musician yeah. for fun, you know, because, uh, it's just, that's, 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 that's why we, you know, one should be a musician really yeah. for fun, either amateur or, or professional. But, um, but I took, um, yeah, I mean, I took the classical piano lessons. I got older, I took jazz lessons, but I, I, I always loved rock and roll. And I, I think I saw the, uh, the, uh, the album cover of Led Zeppelin one in my uncle's record collection when I was 10 or 11 and I put it on and I was just, I was just hooked. Right. So I was really, really into the first um, Led Zeppelin record. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, growing up in New York or or New Jersey, uh, um, uh, rock and roll radio was, was, was big. Uh, so I was into, uh, being a keyboardist, I was into, uh, Deep Purple. Um, I was into, I, I, I tended to like the heavier, uh, bands. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, I loved Zeppelin. Um, but actually my first concerts were, so I think my first concert was, if it wasn't Ozzy, Ozzy was my second concert, but it was actually Black Sabbath, but I think it was with Dio. Okay. Uh, and I was just always drawn to real kind of heavy Right, a, a guitar-based uh, rock, um, and um, being a, a keyboardist, I always really appreciated like what what um, say like what John Paul Jones did with with yeah. Led Zeppelin, like real tasteful parts, real sounds that were diverse and fit the music. Um, so those were some early influences. Yeah, one of my favorite keyboardists in a rock song is No Quarter by. No, yeah. By, by Zeppelin, John Paul Jones on the keyboard, such uh, great stuff. And when you look back, as you've had a long career and, and history as a keyboardist, as a musician, what are some of the highlights for you? Oh, um, I, I would say, uh, I would say that, um, some, you know, a couple I mentioned, you know, playing with the Black Crows and playing and, you know, playing with that bridge school with Tom Jones, uh, you know, various, uh, traveling is, is, uh, has been fun. I've gotten to right. travel to places I never thought that I would ever go. Like, like where? You know, like, like, like Moscow, like wow. the pyramids of Giza, like, who were you in Moscow with? Just, um, I was with, um, I was with a, uh, I was with a Latin pop star that, that should, that I, I will not mention the name, but, um, okay. you know, uh, actually I think Fortis was on that as well. Right. But, uh, you know, you got to pay the bills. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, just, uh, uh, just the, the whole, the travel of the whole thing is, is very, is very, is very, uh, satisfying and those, those concerts and there's some dogs fighting here, <laughs> right. but they're just playing. Yeah. They, they love each other. Um, so I'll clean this up. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no problem. So before, before I let you go, let's take it back to, Split second meltdown again. The great Foxy Lady cover is out. People can listen to that on what Spotify, Apple yeah. Music, everywhere. You said right. Yes, yes, it is uh, streamable everywhere, and I hope I hope people, you know, enjoy it. It's a, it's. I uh, hope they kind of have an open mind, but it, it's definitely rocking. And Fortis is incredible on it. So just for that, you, you should listen to it. Absolutely, split second meltdown. And again, there's other music up there on the streaming services by Split Second Meltdown too. But what about the future? Do you have new music you're working on? What's gonna What's gonna happen in the future with Split Second Meltdown? Um, yes, I'm working on some new music. And um, as the last uh, uh, the EP came out in a, in a in a pandemic, I'm hoping to get a bunch of musicians in a room and, and record 10 songs. I mean, maybe it'll be the, the mule kick guys. I mean, I, right. I, oh, well. I wish it, I, I wish it, uh, I wish it were, uh, have to do it around Frank's touring right. schedule, but, uh, yeah. So look out for some, some, some new music later this year. Right on. And one last question you mentioned, Frank, who's a big part of mule kick and also the big part of the, current version of Guns N' Roses. He is the drummer. He's been there a long time, actually, playing with Guns N' Roses. When did you first meet Frank? Do you remember meeting him for the first time? I met him probably in the later 90s, just through friends. But um, And then we, we, we did a lot of social hangs. And I don't know if we 
Oh, I think we did a. I think we did. A, we did it one one or two gigs before he called me for Mule Kick, uh, but it was very, you know, there were, uh, sporadic. There was a lot of time in between. Right on. Right on. Cool. And where is the best place people can connect with you or Split Second Meltdown on online? Is yeah. it social media? Where? Yeah, yeah. I'm all. I'm all. I I, I avoided Facebook for ten years, but. Um, but, but now I have a page, a split second meltdown page okay. on it. And, uh, for all the evils of Facebook, there are good things as well. Right on. And, uh, Instagram. Yeah. Split second meltdown. And, um, Which Facebook owns Instagram. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And we will have links up to both of those in today's show notes, guys on talkingmetal.com and right there on your Apple podcasting app. And uh, big thanks to to Rob for coming here to the house for another in-person interview. It's so great to get back to in-person interviews. A little editing is going to be needed here to clean up the the dog craziness. Uh, thanks for, for dealing with that, oh, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was my pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for, for having me. And we can't wait to see you live. I, I Again, I, I may be away that first... Uh, week in august I'm not, I'm not sure but we will definitely be uh, coming out to see you and support you live where and whenever you're playing thank you big thanks to graham oliver and rob Clores for joining me on this episode of talking metal and of course a big thanks to you for listening i will talk to you next time be safe this summer guys stay cool and uh, again i love you thanks for listening Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.